So what we're emphasizing, and I want to look at a scripture first. Uh, this, is, this is something that the Lord gave me. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians 9. So last week, I, I shared with you verse 5, um, 2 Corinthians 9, 5. Can you put that up there real quick? So Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he says uh, they were getting ready to take up an offering for the brethren in Jerusalem. And I don't know all that was going on in Jerusalem, but uh, they, were, they were needing finances. And so Paul was going to take up offerings throughout the whole ch- all the churches to take to Jerusalem, to the saints there. And so he had heard... The, the Corinthians had told him, now we, we're going to take up a great offering. So he was getting ready to send some people to Corinthian, the Corinthians church to gather that offering. So this is why I thought it necessary to urge these brethren to go to you before I do. So he's sending someone out before he gets there. And this is what uh, they're going to do, or they're going to make arrangements in advance for this bountiful, promised gift of yours so that it may be ready and not as an extortion wrung out of you, but as a generous and willing gift. So Paul was saying, when we get ready to take up an offering, we want to get you ready. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of this month is get you ready for the offering that we're going to take up on November the 5th. We're going to take up our building fund offering, and it's going to impact the debt that we actually call it our line of credit that we have used. It's going to impact that greatly. We'd love for it to just be wiped out. So if you guys get a million dollars between now and November the 5th, I have a suggestion on what to do with it. But, um, and if you need to know, just ask me. So, uh, then I want to go on and and look at this scripture, uh, the very next verse, after Paul says, we're going to get you ready. He says, remember this, so I'm going to just remind you, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly, and he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone, will also reap generously and with blessings. So Paul is reminding them that this is not just you giving money. You are planting seed, and the amount of seed you plant determines your return. So uh, then verse 7. I want to just emphasize this. So let each give... As he has made up his own mind. So I'm not telling you what to give. Nobody else in this church is telling you what to give. God will tell you what to give. Now last year when we did this, there was a couple that had written down a certain amount. I think it was $2,000 that they had written down that they were going to believe God for, for the building fund. They had no idea where that $2,000 was going to come from. But over a period of just weeks, 
From two unexpected sources, they got $2,000. That's what I'm talking about. You make up your mind, and then you believe God for that. Let me just finish this. And purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, for God loves, he takes pleasure in, he praises above all other things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. And then, uh, can you get verse 8 up there? Did I give that to you? Uh, verse 8 says, and God, I just said, uh, uh, let's skip down to 9. Can you do nine? Ah, let's skip ten. Go down to ten. <laughs> I'm looking for something in particular. Um, okay, here it is. And God who provides seed for the sower. So what we're asking you to do over these next few weeks is to ask God, first of all, ask God, what do you want me to give? And then secondly, write it down and say, God, this is the amount that I'm going to believe you for. And then believe God to get you those finances. When you get them, don't eat them. Sow it. That's all we're asking you to do. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, every one of you, I would pass out a piece of paper for you to do right now, but you may need to pray about it more or talk about it with your spouse or whoever uh, is also responsible for finances in your household. But make a determination because there is a promise of a, of a return on your giving. I know you don't do it to get the return, but God is faithful and you will see all through the Bible that any time he tells you to give, it is always, he always turns around and says, I will give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken to bed together, will men give unto your bosom. So can we believe God for a million five hundred thousand dollars to pay this thing off? God said he would pay for his church. So Father, right now, as we're talking about the finances to pay this church off. Operation paid in full. We know, Lord, that when you said you'd pay for your church, you had a plan in mind. We don't have to know what it is, but we just know that it's according to your riches and glory. It's not according to our ability. It's according to your riches and glory. And so, Father, we put a demand on the supply of heaven for $1,500,000. We put a de demand on that. And we said, Satan, take your hands off of God's money now. In Jesus' name, you loose those finances. In the name of Jesus. And we say, go ministering spirits. And cause that $1,500,000 to come into our storehouse, into our building fund, and we declare this church paid off in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you believe that? Amen. Okay. Amen. 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 <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> okay, now, now I can get to my sermon.
Um, they're doing something different to me, and so I'm going to just kind of try to go with flow. That has to do with notes. I'm not a very big note person, but uh, if you would like notes of what I'm getting ready to preach, I may or may not preach on it, but uh, there was some handouts. Uh, did any of you, would any, or did we hand them out? No, we haven't handed them out. We're getting ready to hand them out. Anybody that wants notes for this sermon, raise your hand. Tall, let the, let the ushers. By the way, happy birthday, Eric. I won't tell you how old he is. Okay. And then you that uh, have a version Bible app on your phone, you can go to that and find the notes as well there. Uh, and so there. If I don't follow my notes... Don't give me a bad grade, okay? So while they're handing out, I just want to cover this, uh, this message and this sermon with prayer. Father, now I know that you have put it in our hearts to minister along this subject, and we know that it's a subject that is so needed. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you to just take the words that you have spoken to me and make them like a two-edged sword. It will go into the hearts of your people, and it will not just be a sermon, but it will be instruction that will help us to be victorious every day of our lives. And I just stand up right now in the spirit realm and take authority over every demonic spirit that would try to hinder the word from going forth or hinder any person from hearing that word or understanding the word. I plead the blood of Jesus over this congregation, over those listening, uh, by uh, the live stream, wherever they listen, I plead the blood of Jesus that uh, every demonic spirit is bound. And Father, I just declare that you will get across your message to your people And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for utterance today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are this, during October, we are going to be emphasizing a a theme called the war we don't know we're in. And the title of my message this morning is, Don't Fight Naked. So I know you're excited about that. So we're going to find out how to be winners. There's a reason that we chose that theme for this month. This is the month of October. And everybody knows that October is the month that the world celebrates the demonic realm and the realm of death. Why would you want to celebrate that? But they like, they do because they think it's fun and games to create fear. Um, I think that people that think that way do not understand what we are really up against. It is not a game. Church, it's not a game. It's war. 
we are in a war. Now today, Israel is in a war. And you know, people are getting killed, maimed, destroyed as a result of that war. Do you think they think it's fun and games in Israel? Our warfare is not fun and games. We have an enemy, John 10, 10. We have an enemy that comes for one reason and one reason only. He comes in order to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Do you think that's fun and games? Now, this is the fun part. Jesus said, I've come that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So there's two ways of living on this earth. If we are in the kingdom of God and we participate in the kingdom of God, God promises us abundant life. But on the other hand, we have an enemy that does not want you or me to have abundant life. And yet, sometimes we don't understand this enemy, we don't know what we're up against, and we by default cooperate with him. And I don't want one person in the sound of my voice to have to experience that. So we're going to try to expose to such a degree that you will know when the enemy comes to you in your life. So I want to start with uh, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and I want to read verse 12 to start with today. Uh, so Paul is telling us, he's given us some inside information that we need to know, and we really need to internalize this. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Now let's look at that in the Passion. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat, what you're going to experience in this fight, is not with human beings. Now you need to put that on your refrigerator because the devil will try to make it look like it's human beings that's against you, causing you problems, but it's not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realm. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Now I want to look at 1 John 5.19 in the Amplified and in the TPT, in the Passions. We know positively that we are of God... And the whole world around us is under the power of the evil one. 
Look at that in the, in the Passion. We know that we are God's children. And the whole world lies under the what? Misery and influence of the evil one. There's a devil out there. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. And so, uh, several years ago, um, we, had a, we have a man that uh, we support in Kenya, Africa, that came over here a lot and uh, ministered to us. We, we partner with him. He has a great ministry there in Kenya. His name is um, um, <laughs> Meshach. It escaped me for a minute. Sorry, Meshach. He usually watches. Uh, his name is Meshach, and he was over visiting uh, several years ago, and he left me a book called Snatched from Satan's Claws. Now, this book was, is a phenomenal book. It's not in print anymore, as far as I know. I don't know that it was ever in print in the, in the United States, and I will not take my hands off, let anybody take it from me, because, uh, but it is an account of a man named Mukendi, who was a sorcerer. He was from a child. when He was born into sorcery. So from a child, he was trained to be a sorcerer. And uh, as he got to the adult age, Satan picked 140 students from all over the world to take into the spirit realm and teach them from the very mouth of Lucifer himself how to destabilize the church, and how to destroy Christians. And he called it his Bible school. And he, uh, he took the Bible. Now, is it any wonder that the devil tries to twist scriptures? Because that's what he taught these sorcerers. And he taught them to, um, he, he read from Numbers 21, where it says the children of Israel lacked patience and started murmuring. This is what the, the devil said to them. You should try the patience of God's children and be able to lead them into sin. And when they have sinned, the covering of God would automatically depart from them. This is your chance to hinder their victory. Now you need to know, Paul said, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. When Satan comes, it's always for a purpose to take you out of the hand of God and de destroy your victory in your life. And then he said, uh, the fact that God sent serpents to bite the children of Israel means he authorizes us to harm any child of God or he allows us to harm any child of God when he is sinning. It's time we started talking about sin in the church. It's serious. Our efforts will be, be to prevent every child of God from fixing his eyes on Jesus. If he is not blocked from that, he will have victory, and it will be difficult for us to do them any harm. So he shares with us, uh, and Lucifer also says this, in the world... There are three types of people. Those you will see with clothes on have the Holy Spirit and belong to Jesus. 
Now see, when this sorcerer was so uh, educated and, and so into the spirit realm that he could see into the spirit at will. And when he would look at a person, that person would either have clothes on or he would have not, he would be naked. And if he had clothes on, he was a child of God. He had the Holy Spirit and he belongs to, belonged to Jesus. If that person was naked, then he, had, he was vulnerable to the enemy and he had the ability to infect his life. So he said there, this, there's three types of people. There's, there's one that belongs to Jesus. They are our main target. It is not so easy for anyone to possess them. Now, when he talks about possessing, he doesn't mean demon possessing. He means to influence them to do wrong or influence them to do his will. That's what he means when he says possess. It's not so easy to do that. But they are, their, they are his main target. Then there are those who are completely naked. Satanists have no problem possessing them because they are already naked and hence their lives are open to anything. They dress and they go to church, but because they are not sanctified, they look completely naked. Sobering. And then the third, the third ones are just ordinary people who are not saved. And the devil regards them as his and he's not worried about them. So uh, he talks about, there's a lot... I don't want to take a whole lot of time this morning, uh, but to me it's interesting to look on the other side and look, look at it through the eyes of our enemy. Then we could know his tactics. And he basically said, if you need to get them angry. He said, if you can get them angry, it opens the door for the enemy to come and influence them. So anger is not a small thing. And he, has, he said also loose talk will open a door. Now what is loose talk? It basically is negative talk. For instance, talk of failure. Talk of uh, defeat. Or just this. This kind of talk. Let me just tell you what this I've heard. Every time... I get ready to go on vacation, I come down sick. Guess what's going to happen the next time you get ready to go on vacation? You're going to come down sick. And you say, see, I told you so. But they don't put two and two together. See, that's what the enemy's listening for, is those negative things. Well, I'm just no good. I can't do anything right. What is the devil going to enforce in your life if you say those things? Exactly what you're saying. So, so he, he reveals that loose talk is uh, another way of the entrance of the enemy. Now, he gives an account of when he was born again, and I just want to try to summarize this. Uh, it's so interesting to me. He was working at this place, and he had a... Uh, a fellow worker that was a Christian. So he was, he was his target. This Christian was McKinney's target. So he, sa uh, 
he started talking to him. He was getting ready. His wife was getting ready to have a child. The sorcerer's wife was getting ready to have a child. And he, so he told this Christian, he says, I, I need money. I have no money. You have the keys to the, the office. If you will just leave the door open, I can go in and steal something, sell it, and get some money. Well, at first, this Christian didn't pay any attention to him. But as he continued, he wore him down, and finally he agreed to leave the door open. So the minute he left that door open so that he could be a part of this stealing operation, the sorcerer was able to influence him with a spirit of stealing. And so the Christians started to steal things too. And then he became naked in the spirit realm. And then he shared it with his wife, and his wife became naked. And so the sorcerer was just getting ready, just getting ready to destroy him when they went to church. And they knelt at the altar, repented, and asked the Lord to forgive him. And the next day, this Christian had clothes on. And the sorcerer said, what happened to you? And he told him. And he said, and but furthermore, the Lord told us that you are a sorcerer and that you're going to get saved today. Well, of course, he tried to make this Christian angry all day long. And every time he would say something or do something to make him angry, the Christian would just say, speak a scripture verse. All day long. And he was so frustrated. The sorcerer was so frustrated that he agreed to go with him to his house that evening and get saved. But he had plans. His plan was this. He was going to take 500 spirits to possess them, but he was just using it as an excuse to get to them. So when he got there, they set him down in this chair, and what he didn't know was that this chair had been prayed over. And they had pled the blood of Jesus over this chair. And the minute he sat in this chair and they started praying, a rope fell down from heaven. Now this is in the eyes of the sorcerer. He sees into the spirit realm. A rope fell down from heaven. And whenever they started binding the demons in him, that rope came and bound him. And he got saved. And he got delivered. And he got set free. And he became, became a mighty child of God. And he, he went to live in the pastor's house. And uh, he discipled him. One day, uh, the sorcerer, used to be sorcerer, came home. And uh, his child had died. His baby had died. And he lifted that child up to God and he said, God, I know that this child was killed by the devil and you're greater than the devil. So give this child life. And immediately that child came back to life. And he proved God is greater. So now we look back. We see a little tactic of the enemy there. I just... When I read this whole thing, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to me, this book. How powerful the devil is 
but how much more powerful God is. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we have, um, let's look at Ephesians, the sixth chapter, quickly. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we have a, Way to win over the devil. So I'm going to read uh, verse 11. It says, Put on the whole armor, the armor of a heavily armed soldier, which God supplies, that you may be, what? Successful to stand against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. There is not one strategy that the devil has that can defeat you if you have God's armor on. Then verse 13 says, Therefore put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger and having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. So that gives us an insight that, uh, first of all, Paul is saying, God's not going to put the armor on for you. You're going to have to put it on. And you're going to have to resist and stand your ground. So what is the evil day? That's when the devil comes to try to tempt you, to try to get you to lay down your shield of faith, to try to get you to sin. That's the evil day. And it says, having done all the crisis demands. Now what do we do when the devil comes? That's the important thing. You may know a lot of Scripture. You may, you know, you, you may have come to church all your life. But it's not what you know, it's what you do in that crisis time. What are you going to do? Well, it talks about then the armor, the armor of God. And this, this, is, the, this is actually very important now, I've heard of people getting up every morning and putting on the armor. You know, I put on this, I put on this, and put on this. I don't think that's what that's here for. The armor of God is able to stop every wild intention, everything that the devil brings. So it is a real thing. It's not just something you do of a morning and say, I put this on, and then... It protects you because you said that, it puts you, puts, that you put it on. Because the very first thing that you put on is uh, on your loins, the creative part of you is what? The belt of truth. So if you're going to put on the belt of truth, then what is the belt of truth going to stop that the enemy is going to bring to you? Lies. So that tells us that the devil's going to come to you with lies. So what are you going to do whenever a lie comes to you? That's the question. 
almost two years ago, I was faced with a situation I never dreamed that I would be faced with. My husband passed away, and I, I was taking over his position that he had filled for 44 years. In the middle of the night, I, it would be like panic would come on me. And I'd think, I cannot do this. I am a woman. I'm not capable. I don't have the ability. I, ah, da, 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 da. I mean, it was that long. And I mean, it was torment. Torment for weeks. And one day I was standing right in the middle of my living room. And I was, those thoughts were bombarding me. And I don't know if I saw something on television. Some preacher was saying something. I don't know what happened, but I'll tell you this. All of a sudden, my eyes were opened. And I thought, that, those are lies. Lies. I mean, the minute I saw that those were lies... The, they lost their power over me. And so I just said, devil, I'm going to tell you right now, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. That's how you put on truth. When you see a lie, when the devil has, brings a lie to you, what do you say back to him? No, you don't, devil. Devil. You think you're going to kill me? I'm in the secret place of the Most High. Under the shadow of the Almighty. No evil befalls me. No plague comes nigh my dwelling. Whew. What happens to the lie? It's gone. See, that's the, way, that's the way the armor works. If you look at all the parts of the armor, like the breastplate of righteousness, which is the next one, that breastplate of righteousness has been put intact on you when you were born again. But I'll tell you, the devil wants to steal that from you. Whoa, that's a biggie. He wants to rip that off of you by causing you to sin. That's one way. Or keep, keeping you from knowing how God has made you righteous. But I'm going to tell you, when you sin, and you may have a favorite sin... You haven't turned to loose of yet. Every time you're involved in that sin, that breastplate goes off and you become vulnerable. You've heard that sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs more than you want to pay. You know why? Because that first sin is okay. But the second, and after a while, you're pulled away from God and you're out from under his covering and he can just keep inflicting you. So, keep that. How do you keep that? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance is a wonderful thing. Because we've all sinned. We don't, all, we don't have to always sin. You know, sinning every day in word, thought, and deed, mm -mm. that's not victory. 
Victory is going years without having to repent. You can do it. But you have to want to do it. But the devil will be sure that you will find some way to sin if you don't put on your armor of righteousness. So, you know, Jesus was on the Mount of of Temptation, and the devil came to him and said, "Um, jump off, jump off of this uh, roof of the temple. You know what? He quoted scriptures to him. Isn't that what I read that the, the devil did to these students? He read scriptures. He knows the Bible, but he doesn't read it to do it. He reads it to twist it. What did Jesus say to the devil? He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. And that's the that's scripture from Deuteronomy. If you don't know what the Bible says, you may not know what sin is. You need to know what God expects out of us. He wants us to live a holy life. Why does he want us to live a holy life? Because he wants you free from the devil. He wants you clothed, not naked. He wants you clothed so that the devil can't touch you. That's what God wants, and that's the reason. And you say, well, can't I have any fun? It is so much fun living a holy life. It is so fun. It's the best way to live there is. So then we have like the helmet of salvation, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want to just talk about the, the gospel of peace. I like the part about preparation. Preparation for the evil day. What does that mean? That means that, you know, you don't walk around very often with your shoes off, especially when you go out into the world. You put them on on purpose. You prepare yourself when you get ready to walk out in the yard so you won't get step on a sticker. Preparation is so important. I learned that just uh, about a year ago in a very, very uh, vivid way. I was driving home from Ceiling, where I go over to write, and I got to Brian's Corner, and just before I got to Brian's Corner, I started quoting Psalms 91 about me being in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty, etc. And I quoted that. I had not got to the place. I have a way that I do it every day. And I usually, when I get through that, I say, plead the blood over, plead the blood over all my family, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, plead the blood over myself and my cat, and I plead the blood over uh, my vehicle. All my vehicles, over my, all my appliances, everything I have and everything I own. I hadn't got to the place about my, about my vehicle yet. And I come up to that corner, and somebody pulled out in front of me, and uh, I hit them at the, the rear of their car and totaled my car. I sat there in that secret place 
of the cab of my vehicle, the interior of my vehicle. I sat in that secret place and watched my car crumble up to the dash and stop. I did not feel the impact, not one bit. I didn't move in the I did not move at all. I had four and a half dozen eggs in the back. They weren't cracked. They hadn't moved either. My purse was still on the seat. It hadn't gone down, it hadn't gone on the floorboard. It was like it, I did not experience any of that wreck at all, except my car was totaled. And that happened on a Friday. Monday morning, I picked up my new car. And I won't go into all that, but that was a miracle too. And I'm driving it today. It's paid for. So, how did that happen? Was it just automatic? No. I had prepared myself. Preparation is so important. You've got to prepare yourself before the crisis. If you don't know Psalms 91 and you're not putting on that your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, you don't know what to say. It's important that you filter everything that happens in your life through the filter of the Word of God. That's what the helmet of salvation is all about. Your, your thought life up there. Guard your thought life. Peter, I mean, Paul said, think on these things in Philippians. He says, think on these things, those things that are lovely, just, good, true, of good report, all these things. That's what you're supposed to think on. Is that what you think on? If you are not putting in the Word of God in your mind, in your heart, it will not come up when you need it in that evil day. It's kind of like... Um, I'm, I'm going to show you something here. You probably don't know what it is. This is called God's Word. What it is, it's a filter. may not look like any filter you've ever seen, but it's an important filter. It's a filter that goes in my cat's fountain, water fountain. Now that fountain comes up, the water, and then it goes back down, and it runs through this filter, and anything that contaminates this water as it comes up, it is filtered out before it goes back down so it can be brought back up from my cat. Everybody knows that a cat needs pure water, right? You're all looking at me like, you did that for your cat? Well, it's not just an ordinary cat. It's my companion. But I, I use this as an example. You go out into the world and all kinds of things can, can, can contaminate your thoughts, your thought life. You need a filter that filters out all that junk that the devil would try to use. And then you can take that word of God. And this is the big part. 
You can take that word of God, and out of that word of God produces faith. And it becomes your shield. The shield of faith. And then you can stand up in the face of the devil and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and you can do damage in his life by saying no. Not today, devil. Not today. You will not destroy me. You will not convince me I'm not any good. You will not convince me that I can't forgive somebody that hurt me. No, you don't. And you begin to quote back. Just like Jesus did on the Mount of Temptation. Oh, no, you don't, devil. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we can be like Jesus in, uh, it's in John the 14th chapter, verse 30. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, I will not talk with you much more, for the prince... The evil genius, the ruler of the world, is coming. Now, I, wanted, I just want to tell you, none of us are exempt. We have a personal devil. He doesn't know everything and he can't read your mind, but he studied you. He knows where your buttons are. And so he's coming. But Jesus said he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. And what? He has no power over me. Now I can tell you, no matter how ugly the devil is, and no, no matter how bad the circumstances is, the devil technically has no power over you except what you give him. So it would behoove us to not make any room for the devil. Ephesians 4.27 says, don't leave any stronghold. Don't leave any room for the devil. He's talking about anger there. He, just said, he had just said, when you're angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The best advice I can give you is this. Don't get angry. And if you do, get rid of it now. Don't leave a foothold for the enemy. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, 2.11, I believe it is, he said, don't let Satan get an advantage over you, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Second, that's 2 Corinthians 2.11. And if you look at what the context of that, he's talking about unforgiveness. He says, if you have unforgiveness in your life, the devil is going to get an advantage over you. 
for we're not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. So I've had to learn some of these things the hard way, but I can tell you that putting on the armor of God is what you do with the Word of God. Every part, everything the devil will send to you, the armor of God will cause you to be victorious. And then you can stand. And I like the way uh, Pastor Charlie used to say, he says, conquer and stand ready to conquer again. That's our plan. Stand with me. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.